There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. The wonderful, the just for the unjust, he died and was buried and rose again to bring us to God. Amen. Once He suffered and died for us. Praise God. I want you to take your Bibles and go to the little book of Jude. Right before the book of Revelation, Jude, the one-chapter book of Jude. Over the next few Sundays, we're going to make our way through this little epistle and uh, discern what God's Word has to say to us through uh, this little book of Jude. And it is a book of warning. A book of watchfulness that I believe in our day and time is essential for every believer. Uh, There's a lot of isms, I like what one preacher said, there's a lot of isms out out there that ought to be wasms. But the, the reality is they are alive and well. And unsuspecting uh, believers and people uh, that God is dealing with in their heart can be easily led astray. And so I want us to know what we believe and to be watchful of false doctrine. Let's all stand. Jude 1, of course there's just one chapter in Jude, uh, but I like uniformity. Everything's got to have a chapter with me. And so uh, Jude 1, and we're going to read the first four verses, and I want to talk to you about the identification in Jude. These first four verses, Jude identifies a groundwork different individuals, different people groups, different subject matters that he's going to be talking about throughout the rest of the chapter. And so let's see this identification. Jude uh, chapter 1 verse 1 through 4. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you, and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And again, we'll look at the identification in Jude, the identification in Jude. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you this morning. Thank you for the Holy Lamb Jesus. May the preaching of your word exalt that Holy One. Thank you for saving grace that came 
from this lamb. Father, I pray that as we look at these verses and begin to make our way through the book of Jude, you would have hard dealings with every one of us. Father, I pray that you would root out false doctrine. Uh, God, those uh, that are in and around our lives that may want to sidle next to us and whisper in our ears blasphemies and heresies uh, that tantalize our, our, our affections and our flesh, God, may they be rooted out and shown for what they are this morning. God, let us see Jesus. Jesus alone. May our allegiance be to Him. May our commitment be to the Lamb of God. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. I want you to imagine, if you will, that you have entered into a very fancy hotel. Maybe it's like the Ritz-Carlton. You've seen that in the movies. Or, or a beautiful, beautiful hotel. Expensive place. You're going for uh, uh, just a special occasion. And so you've, you've walked into that hotel room and you see all kinds of complimentary benefits. Why? When you pulled up, someone opened the door for you and they got in your car and they drove it to its parking place. Someone took your bags out of the car and they would not let you you carry the bags. No, no, no. They'll carry the bags for you. You go to the registry and your hotel reservation is made and they give you a wonderfully golden pen and you sign in at the desk and, and you, you, you get your keys and it's beautiful. The, uh, the foyer there is just gorgeous. There's drapery on the walls and, 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 and beautiful furniture and you pass by this gorgeous ornate table there in the lobby. It's kind of the, uh, the, the main focal point of the lobby. Gorgeous table. Beautiful flower arrangement in the center of it and along the outside of it is all of this fruit. There's bananas and there's apples and there's oranges and cherries and strawberries kind of all ornately put around this beautiful, on this beautiful table and you're just kind of caught up in the moment. You just, uh, you've never been treated so fancy. You're just, you're just a hick just like me. You, yeah, you've never been, to, you're in awe and just wondrous splendor of everything around you. You kind of get caught up in the moment and as you sashay by while the bellhop is at your side. You just pick up an apple off that table as a snack on the way to your fancy presidential suite. You get to the elevator door and you look at that shiny apple. You know, you do that thing. You rub it on your thing and you look at it and you take a big bite of it and you soon realize you have made a fatal error. That wasn't a real apple. It was made of wax. Looks like an apple, feels like an apple, it's got the texture and the look of an apple, but it is not an apple. It does, it's not filled with that juicy sweet pulp on the inside. No, it is a bland, tasteless, chunky piece of wax. You're wallowing around looking for a place to spit out as the bellhop snickers under his breath, hoping he won't lose his tip. You see, you have been duped. Now this may make some for some funny stories to tell in years to come, but in reality it is a symbol of what takes place all the time in the religious world. Band, uh, brands and stripes of various theologies try to pass themselves off as the real deal. The... the, the ca uh, 
the false doctrines in large facilities, in quaint chapels, all tried to pass themselves off as the genuine article, the finery of their organization, the excellency of their service is impressive and commendable. They are elite and confident in their beliefs and their vision statements. But when it gets right down to what they're peddling, if there's no amount of elegant drapery or elaborate decoration that can disguise the foul taste of false doctrine, at least to those who know the truth. I mean, if you know what an apple tastes like, then you're not going to be duped by a wax apple. A wax apple, and someone may have never eaten an apple before, and they may bite into that apple and kind of smile and chew, but in their mind they're thinking, is this what everybody's been bragging about? It's tasteless, it's bland, it is empty. The same is true with false religion. You see, many do not know the difference. They don't know any better. They think that the bitter and bland substance is what real religion is supposed to be. And they are duped, they are fooled, they are seduced and taken captive unawares. This is the scenario that Jude is trying to avoid. He's trying to alleviate. He doesn't want the genuine church of God to be fooled into believing that the sweet joy of knowing God is the same as the bland taste of false religion. This is not a recent, this is not a recent phenomenon. I want you to understand something. That false religions and heresies that abound in our day have just have always been there. Since from the very beginning, when the serpent told Eve, or said to Eve, asked Eve, hath God said, false doctrine has always been around. That's why it is so vitally important to read and to study the little epistle of Jude years ago. We went through First and Second Peter. Second Peter is very similar. It is like a trumpet call to face false doctrine, to reject it. Here, Jude does the same thing as the second epistle of Peter. He, he labels, he, he, he points out what is false for us. You see, in these few verses of introduction, Jude sets the table, so to speak. He gives us an introduction to the main characters of this enlightening short story. And in these verses, I want to identify five characters or five uh, people or five things uh, that play a role in this short epistle and give us the basis of what Jude is calling us to, which is in verse number four to earn, or verse number three, to earnestly contend for the faith. This is a call to not only the pastors to contend to the faith, but every single uh, one that knows Jesus Christ in saving faith. You are to contend, to fight for, to name that which is false and embrace that which is true, to contend for the faith. Now I want us to look at five things. Number one, I want you to see first of all the servant. The servant. Go back with me to verse number one, Jude. 
the servant of Jesus Christ, brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father. Notice, he identifies himself. Whereas, you know, if you write a letter, if you were to sit down this afternoon and you were to write a letter, more than likely your first word would be either dear ma'am or sir or dear Billy Bob or or Peggy Jean or whoever. You, it would be who the letter is to. Well, not so in this epistle time. In the epistles, normally, the one sending the letter is the one that will pin their name first. They want you to know who's talking to you, which makes a whole lot of sense, you know? I mean, if I'm reading a letter, I don't want to get to the bottom of it and have a bombshell uh, that I had no idea it was this person writing me. You know, who writes you has a lot to do with how you read the letter. And so Jude here, he names himself first. His name is Jude. Now, it is the Hebrew name that we know as Judah. Oftentimes when we talk about Jesus, remember I'll tell you that his Hebrew name is what? Joshua, Yushia. And in the, in the uh, Greekization of the name of Jesus, we get Jesus. Well, Jude is also the Hebrew name Judah. Judah, the fourthborn son of the patriarch Jacob. Judah, from which would come in his lineage and to the line of Judah, the King David. The tribe of Judah is where Jesse and David came from. Boaz and, and Obed and all the lineage of the house of David come through that line. Also, it would be prophesied that through the line of Judah would come the Messiah, Jesus Christ Himself. His name is Judah. That's a good name. I like the name Judah. That's a good name. Doesn't end in an N like all my kids, or a, uh, an N like all my kids do, but it's still a good name. But when you bring Judah and Greekize it into the New Testament, you can get some variations which include not only Jude, but Judas. Judas is a name that is associated with Judah. It's the Greekization of that name. Now, with all the fluky names that people name their kids these days, I'm telling you, there's some, they some wild ones out there. I, uh, they're just, you know, uh, just some weird names of kids out there. You rarely, I don't think I've ever seen anybody name their kid Judas. I don't even think people name their dog Judas. If they name their dog Judas, they got problems. They need to get rid of the dog. It's a name uh, that is filled with curse. Here is the name uh, that was the one that said, uh, that rejected and betrayed the Lord Jesus. But in the days of Jesus, the name Judah or Judas was a common name. As it should uh, as it should have been with the name Judah. It's a prominent name. That's why uh, Saul of, of Tarsus was named Saul. Saul was a prominent name of the king of the first, the first king of Israel. It was a prominent name. It was a good name to have the name Saul. The same as, as the name Judas. Before he was, Jesus was ever betrayed, that was a common name given to many children of that day. He was, a, he was a prominent figure in Jewish history and prophecy. As a matter of fact, there were two Judases 
in Jesus 12. Did you realize that? When you go down and name the Judas, uh, name all the disciples, one of them was Judas Iscariot, who would betray the Lord Jesus, and there was another Judas. One went into infamy and one went into obscurity. You don't hear much about the other Judas, but there was two Judases in the twelve. So who is the Jude or the Judas that is writing this letter? Well, uh, who, who, does the author, who does the author suggest? He said Jude, the servant of the Lord Jesus. Notice, the brother of James. Now, who is he talking about? Where, there are many that suggest that the authorship of this letter, letter uh, that, uh, there are different uh, theories as who this Jude is, but I'm going to pick the prevailing theory. The one that most people agree with is that Jude here is the half-brother of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Mary and Joseph. Do you recall how that Jesus was not the only child apart uh, that the Catholic Church will try to tell you that Jesus had no brothers and sisters? But it's plain in God's word that he had brothers and sisters, that Mary had other kids by Joseph. Jesus was conceived of the Holy Ghost by the Heavenly Father, but, but he had other brothers and sisters by Joseph and Mary. So, so Jude is one of those in the household there of Mary and Joseph in Nazareth. He identifies... He identifies himself as the brother of, of James. Now, James was an authority figure in the early church. During the ministry of the Lord Jesus, if you recall, none of his brothers and sisters believed upon him. Do you realize that? That none of his family believed on him? Matter of fact, we're going to talk about this later, but Mary and her, her children her brothers went to Jesus to try to convince him to stop what he's doing, that he's a madman, that he's crazy. But here, uh, man, uh, but here we also see that Jesus had a brother by the name of James. In 1 Corinthians 15, 7, although it's not given to us in the gospel accounts, Paul, uh, who was once Saul, Paul the apostle said, we are told uh, that the resurrected Christ appeared unto James, the brother of Jesus. So James didn't believe in Jesus when he was in his ministry. But after the resurrection, after he died and raised again, Jesus appeared unto his brother James. In the listing of the names, he was the first name, meaning he was probably the eldest of his brothers. Jesus appeared to James. And James fell, uh, uh, James fell at it. Well, I didn't say fell at his feet, but James submitted himself at, to Jesus as Messiah, as he is Messiah. In other words, James was saved when Jesus appeared to him. Like many of, his, many of the disciples sealed their faith when they saw the resurrected Christ alive from the dead. And so obviously he believed on Christ and he became the pastor of the church at Jerusalem. You read the book of Acts, James plays a large role, particularly at the first council in Jerusalem. In Matthew 3, uh, 13, 55, the people of Jesus' hometown said, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Notice this. And his brethren, James, Joseph, and Simeon, and Judas. So there was a Judas that was the youngest brother of the Lord Jesus. 
Judas being the last would be probably the youngest. So Jude probably was led to faith in Jesus Christ by his brother James who Jesus revealed himself to in his resurrected body. Now, although probably given much respect in the early church and could have done quite a bit of name dropping. You ever been around preachers that like to drop names? Well, I was having... Lunch the other day with uh, Adrian Rogers, you know, old, I call him Adrian. Most people know him as Dr. Rogers. Uh, me, I, I know him as Adrian, you know. Uh, oh, oh, that preacher, yeah, we had, we played golf together last week. You know, they like, a lot of preachers like to name drop to show you their caliber. You know, I, I'm somebody, I rub elbows with the big shots. And so they name drop. You know, Jude didn't do that. He could have easily said, Jude, the brother of Jesus. Maybe he could have nailed some, some theological weight to this letter, but he didn't do that. You remember when Jesus was ministering to his uh, ministering, and his mother and brothers came trying to talk some sense into him, and they told Jesus that his mother and brothers were outside wanting to speak to him? This is what Jesus said, John, Mark 3, 34 and 35. And he looked around about them which sat uh, about him and said, Behold, my mother and my brother, for whosoever shall do the will, uh, uh, the will of God, the same is my brother and my sister and mother. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus changed everything. Every relationship was changed based on what Jesus Christ did on the cross. You see, for Jude, the most important relationship that he had was not the natural one as being a son of Mary, the mother of Jesus Christ, but it was to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Who is the ones closest to me? They asked Jesus, oh, this is my mother and brother, the ones that do the will of God. Why didn't Jude name drop? Because it was far greater to say that he was a servant of Jesus Christ. That is the true attitude of a child of God. That's why over the years, many times I could name people in this church and in this relationship, in this holy uh, place that we've been serving all these years, I would name you closer to me than my, some of my own blood kin. Because this relationship means far more than blood relationship. Here, Jude was the brother of Jesus and yet his mindset was that of servant to the Lord Jesus. You see, his service to Christ was more important than his name-dropping relationship with Jesus as being also having the same mother. Let me ask you, what's more important in your life? Your family name? Your family heritage? Your family... Uh, clout, power, lineage, strength in the community by that name? Or is it your connection to Jesus Christ? Is it an earthly relationship or a heavenly relationship that is more important? Because that is quite telling. You see, I believe that's what, that's what false doctrine and false teachers key in on is they go after those who value more the relationships down here than they do of a heavenly relationship. 
But notice, second of all, not only the servant we see here, oh, but the Savior. Notice what he said. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. Jude identifies himself as a servant of Jesus. Jude had bowed himself down to his elder brother who was the Son of God. And no doubt when Jude penned the name of Jesus on that parchment, my, what a story he could tell. I wonder if a flood of memories run through his mind when he said the servant of Jesus Christ. Jesus. Now he had lived with Jesus for years. He had been in the same home. No doubt he could regale the church at large with many a story. Boyhood memories of the character and nature of Jesus that he knew from Nazareth. He could well have told the stories of Jesus in that home. Of those scenes uh, that were so shrouded in mystery in God's Word. You know we only have one childhood scene from Jesus. There are extra biblical things and traditions of the Catholic Church that are may or may not be true. Who knows? But Jude could have told us something. He could have told us so much about Jesus. I would have liked to have known what Jesus was like in that carpenter's shop. Some of the things he had made. The dealings with people in that family business. I imagine Jude could tell us of a... a no one had a bigger brother than Jesus. I would have liked to have had a big brother. I, I kind of envy envy Grayson sometimes. sometimes. I kind of envy Grayson sometimes. I'd like to have had a big brother. You know, I, but what kind of big brother would Jesus have been to, to him? Kind, considerate, uh, uh, of the thoughtful, of the utmost and upright character. But speaking of Jesus as brother would no doubt brought Jesus down to a level as with every man, to a level with Jews. You know, if you'd have done that, it would have kind of been that old pal. Oh man, you should give that Jesus a noogie. He's a great, he's my old, older brother. Boy, he's got me out of some stuff before. I love, I love Jesus, you know. If Jude would have told us all of these childhood stories, in some way he would have seemed to brought down the majesty and the glory of who he is. No, it remains shrouded in mystery because Jude's intent is to see Jesus, for us to see Him as the exalted Savior, the one in whom worship is due. The false teachers want to bring Jesus down. I got, I, man, I tell you what, I got a deal. I got the, the uh, Kingdom of the Cults by Walter Martin. On audio book. Y'all know I can't read half the time anyway. And so I like to listen to books. I got the audio book of the kingdom of the cult. 17 hours in chapter 1. Man, I'm eating it up. It's great. But they're talking about the Jehovah's Witnesses. Man, it just makes me madder and madder as I go. I, oh, I slam my mouse around while I'm working. Get so mad and upset. Because you know what they want to do? They want to jerk Jesus off of the exalted throne, lift it above all names of every name, and bring Him down to be someone just like you and me. You know, that's the, that's the same old sad doctrine that's been around since the first century. To strip from 
Jesus, his deity, and to bring him down on our level. No, no. Jude wants us to see the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, in whom all worship is to be given. The sent one from God, the long awaited deliverer. Jude viewed himself as a bond slave. Notice he said the servant of Jesus Christ, but the reality of that word, it is slave. The slave of Jesus, bound to Him in bonds, not of chains and suffering, but of chains of love and obedience. He was a servant of Jesus Christ. Do you remember when Jesus at that last supper uh, with His disciples, you remember how He took a towel and put it around Himself and with a basin He went to each of the disciples and began to wash their feet? And he's showing him the humility. Remember when he got up, he said, Now that I've done this, he said, Then if I then your Lord and Master wash your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. I think we can see Jude doing a similar thing right here. Uh, Jude, if Jude, the biological counterpart of the Lord Jesus, who could have easily pulled rank and threw his weight around because he was a natural relationship with Jesus, called himself servant and bond slave, what business do we have trying to pull rank on other brothers and sisters? Well, you... I'm a deacon in this church. Well, you don't know I'm the pastor of this church. Well, I'm just going to pull rank on you right now. I'm, I'm, so, I'm a Sunday school superintendent around here. I wear the big badge on Sunday. No, that is not it at all. That is not the attitude of our Lord Jesus and it certainly wasn't the attitude of Jude. Who could have pulled rank? I got to think about it this morning. How many people how many people in there? That's a good thing we don't know the family lineage of Jesus because there was uh, evidence in one of the things I was reading that Jude had grandchildren and great-grandchildren. A lineage come from the line of Jude. Why? If we knew who the lineage of these family members were today, we'd be worshiping them, wouldn't we? They would be celebrities in churches, wouldn't they? No, Jude would not have such a thing. He humbled himself to be the servant of Jesus. Man, this is taking a lot longer than I thought it would. The servant, the Savior. Notice the saints. Good night. This is so good. Notice what we see here. He said in verse number 1, that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called mercy unto you. Peace and love be multiplied. Judas is writing this letter to the church at large. Those that are genuinely born again in the family of God. Notice he calls them sanctified. The word is equivalent to saints. Hagios and Hagoas. It's the same, basically the same word. It means saints, set apart. The word, uh, uh, now, now the Catholic church will try to make you think, well, only a certain few, like if you, were, if you were committed to Catholic doctrine and you worked three miracles in your life and three or four people could testify to that, then you could be beautified. Is that what they call it? Beautified into being a saint. Well, bless God, you're looking at St. Ronnie right now because there's one more bona fide miracle that happened in me. God saved me, cleansed me, forgave me of my sin, made me a new creature. You did all kinds of miracles in me. 
No, the child of God that is saved by God's grace has been separated, set apart for His use only. No, uh, these, uh, that's who He's called by. He's, called by, he's uh, calling to or writing to those that are saved. If you're saved this morning, and then you're set apart. Jesus told a bunch of Pharisees one time that ye are of your father the devil. Before coming to Christ, you belong to the God of this world. You were the child of the devil. You're the child of twice fall, the child of hell. But in Jesus Christ, in believing on Him, you've been made a new creature. You've been brought into Him. You've been taken out of one world and placed into another world. You don't belong to Satan anymore. You belong to God. That's what a lot of Christians need to get a hold of. You're not part of this world anymore. If you're saved by God's grace, you're a different creature. You're a new person. You're somebody different. He's talking to this church saying, listen, if you know Christ, you're somebody different. 2 Peter 2.9 says that we are royal, that we are a chosen priesthood, a, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that we should show forth the praises of Him who called us out of darkness into His marvelous light. You are not your own anymore. You belong to God. Then He said preserved. Good night, man. What, did we start late or something? He said preserved. Preserved. It means protected, guarded. The word means carefully guarded. To be treasured. To be watched over with great care. Listen, salvation is determined by the keeping power of Jesus Christ. Not by the keeping power of my attitude on Monday morning. Of my Christ-likeness. 2 Timothy 4.8 says, And the Lord uh, shall deliver me from every, good, every evil work and preserve me unto His heavenly kingdom to whom be glory forever and ever. Paul said, Jesus Christ is able to protect me. To keep me. No matter how I falter and fall, no matter how I mess up, God can keep me. Preserve me. Then those that are called. He said in verse number 1, and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Called. It is the idea of calling out to someone. Rings out over the whole planet. The call of God. The call of the gospel. God commendeth all men everywhere to repent, Paul said in Acts chapter 17. God calls everybody. He calls out to the whole world. But those that respond to that call are called the called. We're the called. We're the ones that heard the voice. We're the ones that have been convicted of sin and come to faith in Jesus Christ. We've been called. We that know the Lord Jesus have been called. Jude emphasizes this as an antidote against the corrupt deception that is infiltrating the church. That's what they hate. They hate eternal security. They want you under their thumb for your eternal salvation. The Jehovah's Witness wants you peddling their literature in order to get to heaven and be a part of the 144,000 that have seen the, the invisible Jesus that came in 1914. That's a bunch of junk. They want you under their thumb. They want you uh, as the Mormons to wear the special underwear and go to the Holy Temple and be baptized 1,500 times for dead people. Uh, just cockamamie, ignorant stuff out there. They want you under their thumb. They don't want you preserved, secured in one person and one person only in Jesus Christ. 
You see, and then he says, then he says, good night, verse number two, mercy unto you, peace and love. This is the birthright of every child of God. Mercy. For God to withhold what I rightfully deserve. Mercy of God. Oh, thank God for His mercy. Where you and I be without His mercy? Not on March the 20th, not only on March the 20th, 1994, when I experienced that mercy and saving grace, but every day since then. Every wrong path I've taken, every bad decision, every denial from my lips like Peter at the campfire of Satan. God has shown mercy and then peace. Peace to this world. Jesus said, I give you peace, not as the world give, a, give I peace. Nobody can take this peace from me. Peace in knowing Him. Peace, in, peace with God. Peace of God I can have in my heart and in love. Love. Isn't that what every country music song seems to sing about? I want love. Isn't that what every movie comes boils down to? I want love. Isn't that what every psychiatrist seems to deal with? People messed up in the head because they're looking for love. Isn't that why uh, so many people change their relationships just as bad as much as they change their socks looking for love? Child of God, if you know Jesus Christ, you have love abounding towards you. Satisfying love. Fulfilling love. Oh, listen, a Jude is trying to emphasize those things that make us distinct from what the world's trying to peddling in false doctrine. Oh, child of God, if you're saved by God's grace, you've got the genuine article. Peace, mercy, protection, security, everything that we have in Jesus Christ. This is what false, the false religionists are trying to duplicate and they can never make it taste like an apple. They can never make it taste as sweet as knowing Christ and being forgiven and having genuine faith. The servant, the Savior, notice also the subject. Verse number 3, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that she should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Jude wanted to write of them to these believers about the common salvation. Glory to God. Jude won't talk about talk to them about being saved. That's what he wanted to do. He won't talk to them about being saved. He won't talk about him about the most important thing in Jude's life. My Savior forgave me. Common salvation. He forgave my sins. I like to talk about being saved. I like to talk about a lot of things. Now, don't get me wrong. Getting to where I kind of like to talk about golf. And uh, I like to talk about basketball until I get the shakes and want to play. I like to talk about different things like that. I'm going to tell you what. You want to ring my bell? Let's just start talking about God saving somebody. God saving me. I got a friend by the name of Robbie Jackson. I love Robbie Jackson. Yeah. Man, I first started preaching. Me and Robbie go down to jail. We preach the daylights out of the place, man. I love Robbie Jackson. Robbie Jackson has one of the greatest habits in the world that I cannot seem to make myself get the habit. Every time I call Robbie, see Robbie, shake hands with him, my first thing to say, Robbie, how you doing? And he'll say, I'm doing good thanks to Jesus. You know what that means, right? He points, he gives every encounter, every moment we come together, every time we face each other. He won't talk about salvation. He won't at least say, man, thanks to Jesus. <laughs> I'm doing real good right now. It's kind of like Jude here. He, he wanted to talk about that common salvation. He 
He wanted to take everybody to Calvary. He wanted to take everybody to look up at Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. He wanted everybody to cry hot tears. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. He wanted everybody to jump up and down and shout and run around the building and act like a crazy man. God saved me, forgave my sin. Boy, I like Jude. You know, because he couldn't do that. He wanted to. That was the plan. God wouldn't let him do it. As a pastor, all these many years, I've found that sometimes God won't let you do that. If you're going to preach all the Word of God, I promise you, like my wife says, it's not all full of unicorns and rainbows. You're going to find some stuff in there that is hard, that is harsh, that is correcting. And if you're a man of God or a woman of God teaching your children, your, your Sunday school class, a man of God in the jail, in the mission, in the church, you're going to have to preach and tell some hard stuff. He said, I want to talk to you about the common salvation, but it was need for me to write unto you to earnest that you should earnestly contend for the faith. He wanted everybody to jump up and down, but he couldn't do that. He had to write about something hard. The phrase said it was needful in verse 4 is a phrase indicating an urgency. It wasn't just needful. It was needful. You've got to know this. Something bad's happening in the church and you've got to be aware of it. It's needful. Some render this phrase, it was needful, as I was constrained. I had to write to you about this. Jude's an ugly book. Talks about the devil. Talks about fighting. Talks about, talks about wickedness. Talks about liars and deceivers and lasciviousness. Talks about some hard stuff. But Judas, Judas said, I've got to talk about it. Why? So that you can contend for the faith once delivered to the sake. The word contend means to fight for, to strive for, to struggle for. We've got to balance that with what Peter says. You know, Peter says that we're to always give an account of the hope within us with meekness and with fear and with a good testimony. Here Jude is saying you need to do it in meekness and fear and a good testimony, but you don't back down. You contend for the faith. You contend for the peace that you possess in Jesus Christ. You contend for the gospel once delivered to the saints. It's been entrusted to the church to guard and to protect the true message that saves souls is that gospel that needs to be protected. The true message that is to be uh, trumpeted throughout the whole world is this faith once delivered to the saints. We are to guard against those that see the chief doctrines of Christianity as repulsive, absurd, backwards, antiquated, and ancient. And isn't that where we live today? A liberal community that would try to tell us that the things we believe and what this book tells us to believe and to follow are antiquated, false, repugnant, repulsive, and should be terminated, rooted out, and done away with. That's where we live, folks. Jude might have been writing to a first century bunch of Christians, but he might as well have been writing to a 21st century group of Christians. The whole, that is the whole part of this letter. It is a warning sound that the enemy is in the midst to be alert, to be alarmed to uh, them uh, and what they are trying to do. The servant, the savior, the saints, the subject. Finally, 
the subversive. Verse number 4. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation. Ungodly men turning uh, the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God, our Lord Jesus Christ. The letter is to call uh, to the believer to contend to the faith, to struggle for the faith. But most of all, this letter is given to the uncovering of that false doctrine. You see, Jude's going to write us a letter and say, you need to hold on this letter. You need to contend the faith because I'm going to uncover. I'm going to pull back what's in the church right now. I'm going to pull back what's being tried to be uh, pandered and peddled in the church of the living God. How do we contend for the faith? Well, we study God's Word. That's what Jude's calling us to do, to get in His Word, to read His Word, to understand His Word. To, how do we prevent from being carried away and seduced by false teachers that are, uh, that are ever attempting to infiltrate the church of the living God? We are to know the Word of God. Jude is uncovering these men. He's exposing them for what they really are. Notice that they crept in unawares. These men don't come down the aisle marching in with their false doctrine. They don't come down the aisle saying, well, I like y'all, but I don't really believe Jesus was sinless. I believe He might have slipped up once or twice, but He's still a good teacher, good guy, and so I think we should follow His teachings. No, no, no. They don't come marching down the aisle saying that mess. No, what they like to do is get together at the church suppers and get you off to the side and say, you know, I like Brother Ronnie, but there's a few things I disagree about. I don't, I don't, I don't really care for what he says about the deity of Jesus Christ. I just, I, well, they might not put it in those terms. They'll probably put it in a lot more subtle terms. I remember years ago, this fella come to this church not long after I got here and uh, said about midway back on this side, looked like the devil himself every time I preached. I'm telling you what, y'all don't get to look, y'all don't get to look at y'all when I preach. But some of you look like angels and some of you look like devils. This guy looked like a devil. I almost see horns coming out of his head. He, he did, I don't know what he was about. And he didn't smile at me after the service was over, shake my hand, says a good message. But he looked at me like he wanted to kill me. But after a while, in a few conversations, this guy wanted to get in, wanted to get to work, wanted to work with the youth, wanted to build the church, wanted to do all these different things. He started pulling me aside, talking to me about different things. You, you know, my brother, my brother has two wives. You know, it's, it's talked about in the Word of God that, that, you know, you can have more than one wife, you know. And well, you know, to be honest with you, I, I, I don't think Jesus was absolutely sinful. That's a big stretch there. And then he started going around to other people in the church. Certain things started getting back to me about what had been said by him. Luckily, God got him out of here a few months after he was here. But I do want you to understand that he didn't come down the aisle I, I, I believe in polygamy. Hey Amen. Y'all want to marry me? I, I need another wife. I, I, he didn't come down the aisle saying that. He was you know, unawares. Get him, get us, you know, side for a little dinner and get you over the side talking to you. Oh, you see, I had a guy. I had a, I was preaching at a cow. You know, when I was younger days, I didn't care where I preached. I didn't care. I, I still don't care where I preach. But it was a cowboy church. Everybody come in there, wranglers walking like this, like I've been on a, cow, on a horse for five days. I'm having a good time. I hope y'all are too. Y'all. Um, he come in there you know, everybody, everybody had a cow and chewed the back and the hat on we had cowboy church it was a branch I didn't care man they want me to come preach I come preach I came and preached and a fella come up to me after service he said man I tell you that's good preaching but I want to know I, I kind of believe that I kind of believe that if you're saved then you have to be baptized don't you believe that I mean don't the Bible teach that 
that in order to be saved, you've got to be baptized. I could, listen, it's that, it's that false doctrine of that Campbellite Church of Christ that believes in regeneration by bab, baptismal regeneration. Means you can't be saved till you've been baptized. All the focus. You know, everybody likes that Duck Dynasty crew, but you get them talking about baptism and what real salvation is, all they talk about is being dunked in the boot. Don't be deceived by them. There are a bunch of those that, that believe in baptismal regeneration. They may do some good things, say some good things, but you listen real closely. You read their books. They're Campbellites. They don't believe you can be saved unless you've been baptized. And so here is that false doctrine likes to slip its way into our lives. He said they come in unawares. Notice that they were ordained, condemned. Jude is, is coming. Jude in coming verses is going to show how that this apostate, Johnny come latelys are nothing but a retread of old heresies. Jude in this letter is going to go back to the Old Testament, going to show us things that these apostates have been around ever since the beginning. It's nothing new under the sun. They're always going to be here. I, I think some of the false teachings going around in our day was supposed to have been settled at the second church or the, the church council in Alexand Alexandria, where where uh, Augustine was, was put down the the doctrine that was becoming pervasive that Jesus Christ was not divine, that he was all human, and that he was not divine at all. It should have been said a long time ago. And here it is. We're still dealing with it. You still deal with it in your cults, in your isms, and all your far-reaching Pentecostal a brand of merging church junk that will reduce the deity of Jesus Christ. This, this uh, a liberal religion. They come in unawares. And they're ungodly. Notice. What is the sin of these heretics? It's twofold. We're almost done. He said in verse number 4, what do they do, these ungodly men? Turning the grace of God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God in whom and our Lord Jesus Christ. What are they doing? They're, first of all, they're turning the grace of God into lasciviousness. You know what that means? Lasciviousness means a permissive lifestyle. Whatever you want. Uh, Peter uses the word in connection with the filthy lifestyle of the people of Sodom. The word denotes excess, lack of moderation, abs, uh, absence of restraint, wantonness. It's a kind of theology that says you can have God and you can have your homosexual lifestyle. You can have God and, ha and fornicate and fornicate outside of marriage. You can have God and do what you want. It is, a, it is a doctrine that says that, that says that if the grace of God is greater than my sin, then the more I sin, the more the grace of God is exhibited. And that is gag, that is gag me with a stick, with a spoon, wicked theology. Um, what did I say? In, uh, in yeah. John Phillips said this, Judas uses the word to show how apostates make a total and complete perversion of the doctrine of grace. They change the very doctrine that should lead believers to live lives grateful of grateful holiness into an excuse for indulging one's evil nature. Titus 2, 1, 11 and 12 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly loves, we should live soberly, righteously, godly in this present evil world. Just because your sin's forgiven doesn't mean you have a ticket to do what you want. The grace of God ought to cause us to live godly, separated, 
Lives of holiness, not lives of lasciviousness. And notice in Romans 6, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? If you're genuinely saved by grace, it ought to sicken you to live in sin. Holy Ghost of God ought to convict you and burden you and give you problems all the stinking time if you're living in sin. Then it says, denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I believe Christ. I believe these are twofold as well. Denying the only Lord God. That lends to a denial and a pursuit, a denial of the one God and a pursuit of polytheism and paganism. Polytheism, many gods. That's your Hindu, that's your, that's your Buddhism, the many gods. And then paganism, setting up a God of wood, stone, and, and having a God other than the God of the Bible, revealed in God's Word. That would be your Islam, that, that sets up a God and says, this is Allah, this is God, but He is contrary to the revealed Word of God. He's not the same God of this Bible. And then also, it, it infringes on the deity of Jesus Christ. Listen, you want to detect any, any ism, any cultism, you find out first and foremost, what do they think of Jesus Christ? What say ye of Christ? Is He a man? You know, Jehovah's Witness, Jehovah's Witness say this, there is no other God but Jehovah, Yahweh. He's the only God. And then they turn around and say, well, Jesus was a little God. But there's only one God. But Jesus is a little God. It, it, it's, it, it's, it, it turns itself on top of its head. It is absolutely ridiculous. But they, what do they do? They try to take Jesus, who the Father has lifted up above all other names, and bring Him down. You have any doctrine that brings the lordship of Jesus Christ down, you've got a cult, you've got a false doctrine, you've got one of these guys that Jude is blowing the whistle on that is coming in with false doctrine and false teaching. Jude gives quite an introduction to the different uh, characters and intents of this short letter. My question is to you, is do you find yourself in these verses? Who are you in this? Are you here this morning and the reality is you have an agenda to spread your little cockeyed view on the Scriptures and let it pervasively like a yeast go out through this church. You've come in unawares. You've come in stealthily into the house of God to spread your own little brand of theology. Or are you a saint? Are you one that has come to faith in Jesus Christ? Do you know Him? Who are you this morning? Are you saved or lost? Jude paints for us what it means to be saved, to be called, uh, to be preserved, to believe in Jesus Christ, to trust Him as Lord and Savior. I beg you this morning, if you don't know Christ, come and know Him. And he's the only route to mercy, the only route to peace, the only route to security and love, to be preserved from the judgment to come. Come embrace Christ. and Don't put it off another day. Who are you this morning? If all of a sudden you've got light bulbs going off saying, man, there are people in my life 
that are whispering these false teachings, these false truths, these deniers of God, deniers of Jesus Christ. I mean, listen, all you got to do is turn on the TV. All you got to do is turn on the radio, flip the dial once or twice, and you're going to find somebody that Jude is talking about coming in unawares, slipping false doctrine into your, into your hearts and minds, denying the Lord God, telling you you can live any way you please. God forbid. God forbid. Come. Come to Christ. We need His help. We need His Holy Spirit's help to weather the onslaught of false doctrine in our day and time. Let's all stand to our feet. Kevin, if you'll come with a song of invitation very briefly, I want you to come and know Christ. If you're lost today, if you're without Him, no, don't wait. Don't, 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 uh, don't hesitate. Come to Jesus. Trust Him as Lord and Savior. He's the one raised from the dead, the Son of God, who was proved by miracles to be that Son of God, who died on the cross for your sins, not for His, his sins, but for your sins, was raised from the grave, identified by as many as 500 at one time, was seen of the apostles, trumpeted throughout the earth. Come to Christ today. Believe on Him. Trust Him as Lord and Savior. Dear Heavenly Father, God, speak to our hearts this morning. God, take these fragmented words of, of, of supporting truth, of explanation, and use them in our hearts and lives. Protect us. Inoculate us to false truth. Let our dependence be on the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing more and nothing less. God, I pray that You'd be glorified in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. I'm trusting to the unseen hand. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand.